of the things that's am I not on again? I got a gr- I got a green light, Bob. So one of the things that's uh, I think is incredible about being created in God's image is is God as creator. Humanity is uh, is given creativity as well, and so you know to see different ways that that people use creativity to express you know in 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 musical ways artistic ways you know truths about who God is about what he's done in our lives it's it's great to interact with with those works of art and and to and to contemplate who God is not i mean it's powerful to read it on the page for sure and the spirit illuminates that in our lives but but to see how others have have put that to to word or to music or to picture is is I think an enlightening thing as well. So I hope that that was a, um, a worshipful time for you and a, and a good a contemplative time for you. Um, appreciate you being willing to go through that this morning. Um, I guess you were willing you came and you didn't know it was happening, so I'll pretend that you were willing. But You know, one of, uh, one of the outcomes of, of uh, you know, this whole COVID-19 thing is, is that uh, uh, conferences and, of course, big gatherings around the world have, have either been uh, canceled or postponed or, or uh, moved um, solely online. Um, it's really not surprising since sporting events and, and big conferences are kind of the, the big gatherings that, uh, that our culture typically uh, engages in. Um, uh, I do want to quick put in a plug. Um, our, our denomination, the Fellowship of Evangelical Churches, has an annual conference every summer. Um, typically, it takes place in either Fort Wayne or Peoria. Um, and like many others this year, it is entirely online. And so uh, I would encourage you, it's, it's a good opportunity this year to kind of participate without having to give up a couple days to either go to Peoria or, or to Fort Wayne. Um, there's information, uh, I can't remember if it's in uh, today's bulletin or not, but uh, if it's not, there will be information about that. If you look on your uh, July calendar that's in your mailboxes, it'll be in there. I would encourage you, um, uh, one of the days it's just kind of sessions and workshops, you can hear speakers, and the second day is uh, a delegate business session. So if you didn't get enough of the business meeting this morning, you can engage in the denominational level in that if you would like. Um, please let me know. We do need to register, register you for that uh, business part of it, but, uh, but you are welcome to participate in that way. So, so the in-person uh, canceling of all these conferences and events, um, I mean, it, it just can be felt far and wide. And, and I even, I don't know how I came across this, but, but I saw a note that the 2020 National Storytelling Conference had to be canceled for this year. Did you know there was such a thing? A storytelling conference. Uh, I mean, there is such a thing as professional storytellers. This, this headline caught my eye, and I went down this rabbit trail, and I found out you can, apparently, if you're good enough, make a living telling stories. Believe it or not, kind of an interesting career path. So I thought I would maybe try my hand at it this morning, tell a story to us. And um, I want to begin by telling you a story that's based off of events that uh, that are uh, recorded for us in the book of Exodus. So this is not by any means an original <laughs> story to me. This is something that happened 3,500 years ago. Um, but it's just me kind of retelling it for you. So, 
So once upon a time, and not in a fairy tale sense, but in a very real once upon a time, 3,500 years ago, there was a group of people who were enslaved in the, in the nation of Egypt. And they and their ancestors had been enslaved and they didn't, they'd struggled under slavery for some 400 years. Their Egyptian oppressors grew more and more brutal in their demands. The people longed to be free from their slavery. They longed to be free, but they were powerless to bring about that freedom. And then one day, this man shows up named Moses, one of their own. Moses was one of their own who 40 years earlier had actually escaped slavery in Egypt. And he returned to the people with an incredible message, a message that said God was going to set them free. God was going to overthrow the powerful Egyptian pharaoh through mighty displays of wonder and power. Moses brought this message to the people, and it was exactly what God did through ten plagues specifically. Pharaoh and his people eventually could take no more, and they cast this group of people out of slavery. They cast them out of their land. They were free. What they had longed for for 400 years had finally come to fruition. They were free. And so with God as their guide, they left. They were free to go. They were free to create lives for themselves. After 400 years, it had happened And not only were they free, but this God who freed them loved them so much that he pledged himself to them. He proposed that they enter into a covenant together. So this God would continue to protect them and and guide them and provide for them and bless them. And they, in turn, would remain faithful to him and live their lives in accordance with his wise commands. And how fortunate they were, how fortunate that they were that the God of the universe would choose them for this type of arrangement. And so they quickly and decisively pledged themselves to this God. And they sent Moses to the top of a mountain, and when he returned, he brought with him two tablets inscribed by the finger of God that had ten decrees which they were to follow. And not only that, I mean, if you can picture it, Moses' Moses' interaction with God was so wonderful that when he came back down the mountain, his face glowed brightly. I mean, so brightly that it scared the people. They were were afraid to look at Moses. They were afraid to come near him. Now, Moses' face would, would eventually begin to fade, but every time he returned... Every time he went back and spoke with God again, he returned and his face would shine with rejuvenated glory. Truly incredible. Now, I would love to tell you that that story ends with something about living happily ever after, that very specific story. And of course, that proved not to be the case for that specific story, but but regardless, wouldn't, wouldn't it have been incredible to have been there, to, to, to be present, to witness firsthand all that took place in that story? 
I mean, wouldn't it have been awesome to have seen the glory of God on display in such power? Man, I, I would have loved to have you know, been the proverbial fly on the wall, to have seen all of that taking place. Well, as we ponder that story, as we think about maybe our desire to have been there when that took place, I want us to, to turn to our passage this morning in 2 Corinthians. We're continuing through chapter 3. Last week we talked about verses 1 through 6. Uh, this week we will look at verses 7 through 18. So in light of what I just told you, the story I just communicated that took place in Exodus, let's pick it up in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7. Paul writes and says, Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory." So if you remember last week, we talked about the law and, and the spirit. We talked about how the law can only, only promote right living from outside of ourselves while, while the spirit produces righteousness within us. Uh, we, we talked about how the law produces death, but the spirit produces life. Um, uh, we talked about how better laws do not save us from sin. Only the spirit can, can do that. Only God himself Paul is continuing in that same vein this morning in this passage. And in case there were some who, who didn't believe what Paul was saying, he went all the way back to Mount Sinai. He went all the way back to the giving of the law, the giving of the Ten Commandments, to show that it was never meant to be a lasting covenant between God and his people. So you know, after I told that story this morning about uh, the giving of the law, the giving of that first covenant, the radiant face of Moses, it might seem kind of shocking to hear, to hear Paul say things like ministry of death, ministry of condemnation, right? glory being brought to an end. He, that's how he's talking about this first covenant. But as we talked last week, that, that, that old covenant based on laws and commands was not able to bring about righteousness within a person. Even though the covenant was a wonderful gift from God and, and, and even today continues to teach us about God's character and, and our own character as well, it is unable to eradicate sin either in the world at large or in individual people's lives. Now yes, it, it, it contained glory at the time that it was given. Right? I mean, that, that's why Moses' face shone so brightly right? When he, every time he went to converse with God. But, but what happened after Moses came down the mountain or he exited the tabernacle was that, that his, his face that was glowing, it began to fade. It, it, it lost the glory that it possessed. And Paul makes the connection here between the fading glory of Moses' face and the fading glory of that original covenant. He says that the glory of the first 
covenant that has come, uh, that, that came really now has no glory at all because of what came after it, because of what surpassed it. So he's talking about these two covenants. He's talking about the glory that, that they did or currently do possess. And I wanted to, to try and kind of illustrate that for us in a way this morning. So, so what I've got here are, are two different things which can, uh, which can illuminate, which can have some glory that, that emanate from them. So first I've got here a, a lighter that hopefully it did, lights. This is the first covenant for now. I'll try not to burn the church down. We finally made it back in, and hopefully we can continue to be in. So this is, this is the first covenant right here. Contains glory, right? I mean, as I light this flame, you can see light coming from it. It, it definitely has light that it shines out. We'll, we'll call that its glory. There's glory coming from this flame. All right, I also have here a, a floodlight. All right, and this represents the, the new covenant for us. And I know it's kind of bright. That's the point, if you'll, you'll see here. Th- this is the new covenant. I'll make sure to get the camera, too. That probably really messes with the, the balance on that. But this is the new covenant, right? And, I mean, it, it's got so much glory. I'll shine it up for now. because It, it can be difficult to gaze at that glory, right? And this, this is the new covenant that has come through Jesus Christ through his death on the cross. Now, Paul talks about one glory kind of fading in comparison to the other. So I'm going to light this and shine it around. And can you even see when it's directly at you, can you even see that, that uh, lighter? It's drowned out, isn't it? Maybe from the side you can when the light's not shining directly on you. But, but this, one, this one light vastly outshines this other, even though this is lit the entire time, it surpasses it. I mean, that's, that's what Paul is talking about here. The glory of the new covenant far surpasses that of the old. This isn't blinding you guys, is it? It is a little bit? Is that better? <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, Paul's not saying that the old covenant is worthless, and, and corrupt. He's, he's not saying that. In fact, you can go to Romans 7 and he talks about the commands of God as being holy and being righteous and being good. He's simply saying that the old covenant is now outshone by the new, that the glory of the new far surpasses the old covenant and, and, and that this, the glory of this covenant was fading anyway from the very beginning. Jesus didn't die on the cross to, to usher in a new covenant so that we would have two to choose from, so that you can say, well, I maybe like that one better than that one. That, that's not what Jesus is doing. It's not like we have options regarding our salvation and the destruction of our sinful nature. The fading glory of the old covenant, it, it, it was always meant to be replaced eventually. This was never supposed to be the eternal covenant that God would make with his people. And that is wonderful because the, the destination of this old covenant, as Paul talks, was, was death, was condemnation, according to Paul. He said it was a ministry of, of death, a ministry of condemnation. It, it cannot lead to righteousness and life, as Paul talks about. Now, it might 
it might cause us to ask the question, what's the point of this old covenant then? I mean, why, why not go straight to this one from the beginning? If this one, you know, replaces this and it's far surpassing in glory, why not just go there? Let, let, let's go back to that, that story I told when, when uh, God's people had been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. What was their primary problem as they were in bondage in Egypt? It's tempting to say that their primary problem was that they were in bondage in Egypt. They'd been enslaved for 400 years, after all. And if that was truly the primary problem, then upon their freedom from slavery in Egypt, everything should have been fine, right? Everything should have been solved. There ought to have been nothing else to worry about if that was the only problem plaguing them. The exodus from Egypt would have been the culmination of God's work among his people. But their slavery in Egypt, and it was a serious problem, it, it wasn't the primary problem. Their primary problem was slavery to sin. And, and simply being released from Egypt wasn't going to solve that problem. Uh, in fact, after they were released and before they even got to the Red Sea, they were already complaining to Moses that they wanted to go back to Egypt. And it didn't take much longer after that that they started complaining about food and, and water and, and a lack of a visual representation of God. I mean, it, it was clear that there was a much deeper problem that the people faced than, than being enslaved to the Egyptians. And the Old Covenant helped them to see that problem. Right? Yes, it, it, the Old Covenant revealed God's nature. It reveals God's character but it also revealed their own nature to them. It also revealed their own character to them. It helped them to see that slavery to the Egyptians was not the utmost problem that they faced. It wouldn't have taken them long through the Old Covenant to see that it cannot be flawlessly upheld by sinful people. I mean, when you think about it, Moses hadn't even descended the mountain yet with the, the first set of stone tablets and the people had already broken the commandment against setting up an idol to worship. Moses hadn't even come back yet and they had already broken the law. If the glory of the first covenant, if this was all that they had to look forward to, if this is all anybody has to look forward to, that's a very sorrowful place to be because... We can't keep it. We can't uphold the law flawlessly like we need to. We said that over and over last week, that these laws just cannot bring about righteousness within a person. And so we praise God that this first covenant was fading in glory. We praise God that it was temporary in nature because it it then made room for the greater covenant, the one that far surpasses the first one in glory and is a permanent covenant covenant, as Paul says. You know, I, I know that, that I can be tempted to think that, that God's glory in my life is displayed through my adherence to his commands. I, I can be tempted to think that way, but that's old covenant thinking, to be honest. That's old covenant thinking. That's dim glory thinking. That, that's, that's ministry of death and condemnation thinking. God's glory is not shown in my life as I uphold his laws and commands. Uh, God's glory in my life is displayed through his spirit working within me 
his spirit transforming me from the inside. God's glory is revealed when God's power and God's work are made known. Now, to be sure, there's, there's overlap there, right? I mean, God's transforming work in my life will lead me to, into a submission to his, to his will, to his plan, to his commands for me. Um, it, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more, but but the glory of the new covenant is displayed in my life through the transforming power, transforming work of God within me, not my adherence to laws and commands. That goes back to the old covenant. It's, it's new covenant now. It's surpassing glory. It's God transforming us from the inside. And that's how he brings glory to himself. I mean, listen to what Paul went on to say. He really starts talking about this even deeper in verse 12. Paul says, since since we have such a hope, right, because we're under this covenant and not this one, we have a great hope. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. I mean, it's interesting, right, that that Moses would veil his face when he came down the mountain. He'd met with God. His face was shining brightly. It was incredible. The people couldn't even look at it. And he he came down and he veiled his face. I mean, why would he do such a thing? At the very least, it seems like Moses is trying to conceal something. But why? Why would he do that? Some have argued that Moses concealed his face because he was ashamed that the glory was fading. Um, Others would argue that that he concealed his face because he didn't want people to know that the glory was fading. I think that makes Moses seem kind of deceptive, so I don't really buy into that one. But but others have argued, and, and, and I would lean towards this explanation, Moses concealed his face so that the people would not be transfixed or, or, or consumed by that old, that first covenant, right? And, and, and I, think, I think this seems to be suggested by, by the Greek word that Paul uses. He's talking about gazing in verse 13. Rather than, than simply looking upon the glory on Moses' face, the thoughts being communicated that it seems that, that maybe they were looking in and studying deeply and, and, and Moses didn't want the glory upon his face to be understood in such a way that the people became fixated on it and the old covenant which it represented. Right? If they became fixated on the glory of the old covenant then they might never be prepared to receive the new covenant that was going to come replace it. And we're told that even so even though Moses veiled his face, the people's hearts were still hardened and, and they did fixate on that old covenant nonetheless. You know, they didn't comprehend that it was a fading glory and that it was meant to be replaced. And, and, and Paul even alludes to the fact that, that even though Moses was gone, long gone by his time, that that veil still remained on the hearts of the Jewish people. 
I think you can argue today, still remains on the hearts of many Jewish people. And it blocks the ability to understand the new covenant in all its far surpassing glory. You know, and that veil, as Paul says, it's only removed through the work of God. It's only God that removes the veil. Only he is able for any of us to open our hearts, open our eyes, open our minds, to understand the glory of this new covenant, right? To understand the glory of, of, of that video that we watched. It is finished. Only, only God can drive that home, if you will, into our hearts and our minds. And, and the incredible blessing for us is that, that when that happens, we experience true and profound freedom, as Paul talks about. He says in verse 17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. When you think about all that Paul has talked about in chapter 3, there is much that we are set free from in Christ. We're set free from the old covenant. Right? He talked about the Old Covenant and the requirement to uphold the commands and, and, and the regulations. We're set free from that in Christ. Uh, he talked about the ministry of death and condemnation. Uh, we're set free from that. We're, we're set free from, from bondage to that, to that Old Covenant, bondage to the law. Our, our focus should not be on trying to live up to a standard in order to receive a reward. That's, that's old covenant way of thinking that the people would fall into. It wasn't good for the people to become fixated with that first covenant. Our focus, uh, you know, they, they focused on that covenant. That's, uh, that's why Moses put a veil over his face. Instead, we ought to focus on this new covenant. And it's blinding, right? When you look at it, the glory is incredible, but that's what we're called to focus upon. We ought to be fixated on, on that, on what God reveals about himself through, through the death of Jesus on the cross, through his giving of himself to us. And then what happens when we do that, when we focus on the new covenant instead of the old, what happens? Paul says this in verse 18. He says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So Paul says that as we behold the glory of God that we see especially in the new covenant, we are transformed into the same image of, of what we are beholding. We are transformed from one degree to another. You know, while, while the glory of the old covenant on Moses' face would fade, what Paul says is that the glory of the new covenant will, will shine brighter. It will increase as we behold who God is, as he does his transforming work within us. It's not a fading glory that we've received. It's an increasing glory from one degree to another. And and it's, it's not just that the glory that we shine increases, it's that our reflection of God's image itself increases. Right? As, as, as the Spirit works his transforming power within us and as we gaze upon the glory of God seen in the new covenant, we are transformed more and more into a reflection of God himself. That's incredible. 
isn't it? I mean, we're created in the image of God from conception. But as sinful human beings, that's been marred within us. Well, the work that the Spirit does in our hearts, the work that the Spirit does within us, transforms us more and more into that image, that reflection of God himself. It's not because we become more skilled in keeping the law that we reflect God's image. It's not because we improve ourselves through hard work. It, It is through God's work within us that we reflect his glory more and more. And I love how Paul, he he chooses a different word here than he's been using so far in the passage. Verse 7, verse uh, uh, 13, he talks about gazing. In verse 18, it's beholding the glory of God. That word behold kind of reflects something different. Uh, Literally, it, it talks about reflecting Instead of gazing, it's a reflection that Paul is talking about here. He's communicating to us that as we behold the glory of God, seen in the new covenant, it's as if we become a mirror that reflects God's glory out into the world, out to all those around us. You know, as the Spirit transforms us, we reflect God's glory more and more. Uh, Romans 8 talks about this. It says, says, those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's been God's plan all along. He created us in his image and through the new covenant, he is restoring his image within us as well. Now, now, we have to be careful in hearing this outcome, not to, to fall back into kind of old covenant way of thinking into attempting to force ourselves to become God's image. You know, the the striving, the straining, the keeping track of of deeds, that's that's old covenant stuff. We can't simply change from striving to follow the law to striving to, you know, become a better reflection of God. We can't bring about transformation in our own lives. That's only God that can do that within us. Paul doesn't say we're we're transformed into the image of God through hard work. He says it's it's beholding, right? It's reflecting. I mean, think about a mirror. How hard does a mirror have to work to reflect what is before it? I mean, I've uh, I've never stepped in front of a mirror and heard it groan under the weight of trying to reflect my image. I might groan when I see what's in it, but... But the mirror itself does not groan. It, it, it's, it's, been, it's been shaped, it's been formed into something that, that reflects, that that's just what it does, that's its nature, that's its purpose is to reflect. And I think what Paul says is that's what we are doing as well. That's what God forms us into. So I can take this glory of God and I can shine it away from you, but I can still blind you. Right? Let me see if I can get this just I see some nods. I'm getting it. Right? I, it, because it's reflecting the glory. I mean, this mirror does not have any glory of its own. It's just a mirror. All it does is reflect. But when it reflects the light, man, that, that's bright, isn't it? I'll spare you now. That's what God does within us. That's the transformation that, 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 uh, that takes place. We are transformed, as Paul says, from one degree of glory to another. We reflect 
God. And as Paul ends this chapter, he says, it comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This transformation takes place within us as God does the work. It's why I think this is why Jesus can in all honesty say that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. You could have never said that about the old covenant. You could not say it about the old covenant. You can, and and Jesus did say it about the new covenant. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. He transforms us into his image. You know, bookstores, libraries in our world, they're filled with self-help books, are they not? And, and, you know, the, these books promote that if you'll simply follow their advice in a certain way or do whatever steps, then, then you'll find improvement in whatever area of life. And, and, and I'm not saying that there's zero value in those kind of books. I'm not saying that. But, but I am saying that the minute that we start to view the Bible as a self-help book exclusively, that this just simply tells us exactly how we are supposed to live, and if we can just follow it, then then we will shine God's glory brightly. If we believe that, we've missed it because it's not a self-help book. That's being stuck behind the old veil that, 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 that's old covenant thinking, right? If I just follow the rules, then I will, I will proclaim God's glory. It reveals to us who God is. It reveals to us what it looks like to, uh, to live in obedience to God. But true inward transformation in righteousness, not, not just behavior modification, not just looking all right on the outside, true inward transformation only comes through the work of God within us. It's the only way. The, the, the people enslaved in Egypt didn't just need to be set free from their human slave masters. Right? They also needed to be set free from their sinful nature, which they had inherited from Adam. And you think about us, we, we, we don't just need to be set free from outward laws and, and, and regulations that demand adherence. We, we need to be set free from our sin nature that we've also inherited from Adam. And the wonderful truth is that through the new covenant, through the transforming work of the Spirit, we are set free from both. We're set free from both of those. We're set free to be changed more and more into the image of God, reflecting his glory out into our world. Now again, I, you know, Paul doesn't say that, that the law is bad and that it's evil, right? I'm not saying that, that how we live doesn't matter. Don't hear me say that for one second. It does matter but how we live does not create righteousness within us. How I live does not make me a better person. How I live does not make me more into the image of Christ. Only God can do that within me. And so so if you're here this morning and you you feel like life has been nothing but an endless battle to live up to a certain ideal or or to toe the line in, in regard to a mountain of rules, then I encourage you to turn to God and ask him to take that veil away. I'd encourage you to ask him to do that. Ask him to do the work of transformation within you that only he can do. We can't do it ourselves. Ask him to to transform you from one degree of glory 
into another as you reflect his image more and more because of the transformation that he does within. My, my prayer for all of us is that we, that we be set free from, from the old covenant way of thinking, that we be set free and that we allow God to do the, the transforming work within us that is the result of, of the glory of the new covenant, that we would reflect this glory as he does that work within us. Let's close in prayer. Let, let's, uh, let's stand together as we do that. God, this morning we, we come to you. We, may, may the veil be removed from each one of us. God, we know that we know that we cannot earn our righteousness. God, we can't follow rules good enough to be able to prove ourselves to you. God, may we rest in, in what you've done in the finished work on the cross. God, I give you praise this morning that you are willing to come into our, our hearts, our lives, and, and, and transform us to, to create righteousness within us. God, we know that that'll impact who we are. We know that that impacts how we live. We know that there are outward displays of that. The fruits of the Spirit are very real things, God. But may we understand that those are simply the fruit of inward transformation. God, would you set us free from, from striving to, to uphold laws and commands in order to earn something or prove something or, or even to secure, to retain our righteousness. God, I thank you that, that we have the wonderful privilege of being able to reflect you out in our world. So may we do that. God, would you do your work within us in such a way that, that everywhere we go, your glory is, is proclaimed, that your love is seen. God, may, may, we be, may we be lights that shine you everywhere we go into every life that, uh, that we come into contact with. God, we thank you for who you are this morning. I pray that as we go out this week, that we would rest in you. God, would you help us to do that? It's in your name that we pray. Amen.